friends, happy new year. Did you make any reasonable resolution for this new year, 2021? Were you able to follow through on last year's resolutions? Do you even remember last year's resolutions? I think I said I wanted to lose weight last year, like most years, and I'm sure a lot of you are in the same boat as I am, but I actually lost weight this year. I haven't been this smallish since I was like 15 years old or so. I now wear large shirts when I used to wear XL or double XL. My pant sizes have gone down a few numbers. My only suggestion on losing weight, and it's kind of based on your own body and what do you like to do, but I cranked up the protein and fiber intake, mostly protein. I drink a protein shake a day that has lots of uh, protein in it and some fibers in it, plus some moderate exercise. No, this is not an infomercial for some product or anything like that. I'm just telling you what worked for me. I will crank it up a notch in the exercise department when I can go back to the gym normally. Now, folks, today's guest is Christian Lasher, and I've been learning a lot about my friends with these interviews. It's very interesting to see the path a person takes to get to where they're at today. You will learn that Christian and I had the same major in college, broadcasting, and well, neither of us are using our broadcasting degrees currently. And I don't know if any of our former classmates are still doing the TV thing right now, maybe a few, one or two, but I bet most of our former classmates are working in a, a different field. Well, we tried though. Let's get to the interview. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Um, I was born in Sioux City, Iowa, but uh, was raised in Wyoming. So moved around quite a bit. My dad was a school superintendent. So we went from Iowa to Wyoming and then he got his doctorate at UW. So that's what had brought us there. And then we went to Nebraska for a little bit and then back to Wyoming. So I spent most of my time in, in uh, Warland, Wyoming until high school. And then I moved out to the Eastern suburbs of Portland, Oregon for high school, came back to college in Laramie at UW. So I'd say most of my time was spent in Wyoming. I spent probably about four or five years in, in Oregon. Um, and now I'm in Colorado. So kind of, kind of all over the West. So were your parents native Iowa folks? Or my dad was. Job? Yeah. My mom was a, a New Orleans girl. So all of her family's down in Louisiana, um, and then all my dad's family was in Iowa. So he moved her up there, and then they they did the whole having a bunch of kids and going to school route. And I was the last of four, and and then we were kind of gone from Iowa after I was born. Well, Iowa and Louisiana is kind of a long distance between each other. How'd they meet? Did he meet her down there? Was she in Iowa by chance? Yeah, so he was in the uh, he was in the Marines and the Navy. He flew helicopters in the Navy, and he was stationed in Pensacola, Florida. And uh, I guess most of the the fellas down there cruised to New Orleans on their weekends on their leaves, and that's when they, that's where they met. So ah, met her down there, and then must have had some sort of magic over her to move her to Iowa from <laughs> from a sweet city of New Orleans. Absolutely, I'm surprised <laughs> he didn't go there. But no kidding, job's a job. So you're the youngest of four. I was going to be my next question. Siblings, 
what's the age range? Who's the oldest and females, males and such? Yeah. So I got two older brothers and an older sister. Um, my oldest is 10 years, 10 years older than me. And then my, my sister is nine years older than me. And then my other brother is six years older than me. So I'm, I'm the, the last, there's a big gap there. I, I guess you could call me an oops child. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of uh, distance between my siblings and myself. I, my oldest sister is six years. So I understand that one. Uh, I have a stepsister that's in between there. And then a younger sister who's 11 years younger than me. Uh, I seem to play the next parent with that sibling. Uh, as, as she grew up, I was another influential voice around, still am, to my youngest sibling and such. And and when she fails, I feel like I failed as a parent sometimes. But, uh, you know, that's how it was. Uh, it was. It was interesting growing up. I kind of had my own childhood in the sense I was the only boy. And then I had such different age gaps around me that I didn't have to live in the shadows. Did you have to live in the shadows of your older siblings? Like, oh, that so-and-so's little brother. We got to take him. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, my my dad being superintendent, it was kind of the, the shadows of, of him. Oh. It was kind of like, uh, you know, oh, hey, there's there's Lasher's kid. You know, he's he's either going to be a really good student or, or not. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so then the teachers would remember my older siblings and, and kind of compare me to them as well. But it was always uh, I didn't get away with anything because of my dad's position. And uh, I never tried to get away with anything because I'd come home and dinner time and be like, so how was school today? And I knew he knew something. So I was, I was pretty straight and narrow in grade school, middle school and high school. But but yeah, there's there's such a difference. And like I said, we moved around a bunch. Um, sometimes I was kind of the only kid. Yeah. So um, it had its advantages. So you moved around a lot. Did you get into like activities? that kind of catered to moving around a lot? Where's the place you spent the most time growing up? Um, you know, I think I think mostly, and, and you know this just being my friend, it, it, yeah. sports, it was all about sports. Um, growing up in, in Wyoming, there wasn't a ton to do, uh, except get outside and, and do something fun. Um, we yeah. did a lot of BMXing and skateboarding yeah. back in the day. Um, so, you know, my, my youth was like in the in the 80s when rad was the thing so <laughs> yeah oh yeah um, it's fun now in my 40s kind of reliving some of that now that it's become the 80s become cool again yeah but mostly you know just sports and then you know you're wearing the blazer shirt right now when i moved out to portland i didn't have a connection to a, a basketball team so they became my team and um, then i was always a wyoming cowboy at heart so going back to school there was was a no-brainer and 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 then my further career involving the cowboys um it just made it an easy transition, but yeah, definitely sports and just outdoor stuff and, and getting into trouble, um, not sitting in front of a computer like a lot of the kids do today. Yeah. Uh, we had, I was one of the first to be introduced to computers in my elementary school because while well, my now stepmom, my dad's girlfriend at the time was like brought him into the school district. So we are heavily based in Commodore 64s. I'm sure you <laughs> recognize that name. And I was typing in, um, programming stuff in at a young age and it turned into I wouldn't be outside and then I moved to Wyoming and there wasn't a lot of people like me like I like sports and all activities the guys that were typing on computers were not necessarily the guys I would hang out with they're a little more intellectual than I was at the time sure and so but yet I always think man if I had just stuck with it where I'd be in computers today I can do damage to a computer with programming 
Like I know enough to get myself in trouble um, and hopefully backtrack out. But yeah, uh, sports of, of course uh, seemed good. Did now that your dad was a superintendent, did you have to excel in school as well? Straight A's and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I didn't have to, I mean, there wasn't the expectations set. I tried yeah. to do pretty good. Um, I was a lot better in, in grade school going up into high school than I was in college. Cause college was the first time being away from mom and dad. Sorry, yes. Um, and, and finding out what it's like to have fun in Laramie. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I got through, you know, I, I did my B's and, and low A's and, and high B's kind of just kind of got through and, and did okay enough to get a degree in college. <laughs> Yeah, I did. I was thinking about the rad and I had a uh, rad the movie and I had a BMX bike. Well, it wasn't BMX. It was a Diamondback Formula One. It was super light for like a 10. I don't know how my parents stumbled upon it because we didn't have a lot of money growing up in Oregon, but I could lift it over my head like as a little kid. And so I could do sweet tricks. I put pegs on it like you could spin the neck and everything. But then it just turned into a mode of transportation from one skate area to another skate area because I wasn't dead tired skating over to another place. Right. Put the, put the deck on the front and ride out and, or maybe two, because my friends would jump on the pegs in the back. And so I was like, oh yeah, I forgot I had a kick-ass bike at that young <laughs> age. It was, I don't know how we got it. I mean, maybe it fell off a truck or something because <laughs> it was expensive. I mean, growing up in Oregon, we didn't have a whole lot of money. University of Wyoming changed my family's life. Uh, get My parents got jobs here and such. And so, uh, yeah, I was shocked about that. And I, like sports, never understood how important academics was, even though my dad was a teacher and my stepmom was a teacher. And I'm sure they tried everything. I wasn't the greatest student, but I knew I, what I could do enough to play sports or to keep right. playing sports, especially in high school and such. Um, so I didn't put in the academic time probably till later in high school, which where I was just trying to get out of Laramie. I thought sports was the way out. So you got to increase your academics. I ended up going to the University of Wyoming, but that's not, a, I didn't try. I tried, I got recruited to play football and such, but it wasn't, they always looked at me and went, I thought you're taller. And I was like, ah, I can't get any taller right now. I knew that was about where I was going to end up. It was true. No hot, no college growth spurts or anything like maybe sideways, but not upwards. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it was, uh, Wyoming wasn't my first choice, but now I love the place, University of Wyoming, everything. So I get, was Wyoming, University of Wyoming, always your choice to go? Or what did you, now living on the West Coast, you probably checked out schools out there. Yeah, so I knew that it was always a good, safe backup. Um, yeah. My Everyone in my family had gone there at some point. They didn't all get degrees there. Some of them transferred, but my my like I said, my parents, my oldest sister got a degree there. My My older brothers transferred out to the West Coast. And uh, I did this stupid high school boy thing. I had a girlfriend um, that was going to go to Oregon State, and I wanted <laughs> to be a beaver. So I, that was my route. I was accepted in Corvallis. I was going down there, and then uh, she dumped me right out of right out of graduation. And so I'm like, all right, what do I do now? So I hung out for a little bit, went to a community college out there, Portland Community College, for a semester. And that was like 13th grade. It was easy. It was, yeah. it was fun, but it wasn't, it wasn't the campus atmosphere and, you know, straight A's, stupid classes. And I'm like, all right, I got to get out of here. So I'm like, I'm going to go back to Laramie, 1100 miles away. I still had a bunch of buddies from Moreland. 
that I could see when we got there and somebody I could live with. And uh, so that brought me there, just kind of escaping the the heartbreak of, of the high school breakup. And, I, and I'm so glad now. I mean, I, I love you, Dub. I love everything about it. I'm on the alumni board. Um, you know, I, I live in Fort Collins and I'm as brown and gold as they come. So <laughs> I'm, I'm the obnoxious cowboy fan down here and couldn't have so, it any other way. Did you have to live in the dorms? Uh, yeah. So I was, it was a Christmas time. So the second semester and they still made me do at least one yeah. semester there. Which I'm glad I did. I mean, I, I I tell my kids that too. I'm like, you'll you'll enjoy the dorms, and the fact that you'll meet so many different people from different places, and then you can do whatever you want to do: get a house, get an apartment, or whatever. Yeah. But at least you know, get the base of friends and and kind of learn the the lay of the land in the dorms. And and I'm glad I did. Oh, uh, what dorm? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, I was in uh, White to start, wow. and then so I actually stayed my sophomore year. I was behind. <laughs> I did the whole seven year plan and I'm not a doctor. Yeah. But uh, I understand. Me too. the community college set me back because the credits didn't transfer. Oh. So um, I did a semester at White and then my whole sophomore year, which was really kind of my freshman year again, was in Downey. Uh huh. I lived in Mac. I did two okay. as well, too. Um, first year, I had a roommate that was from Germany. He's 21. But I had a fake ID, so that was kind of didn't matter at the moment. Um, I probably bought more alcohol than he did my freshman year. <laughs> and then uh, uh, I met a, a friend of mine who went to Laramie High School, but I didn't know him. Class size, you know, 300 or something. I, I knew of him, but not like we hung out in the same circles or anything. But he was on the same floor as me, and he'd always, like, see me playing video games. Like, I got to have the room door open. And so he'd pop by and next and his roommate moved out. So I moved in there. And so we were Laramie kids going to college in Laramie. We did not do a very good job at trying to meet anybody outside of our Laramie circles. I thought we met a few um, at like in McIntyre or maybe through not McIntyre in Washkey uh, eating and such. And I can't remember how we met a few, but it wasn't that I didn't meet anybody really. And I did it a second year and I was in McIntyre by myself. My dorm room was on the second floor, right close to the stairs and they led right out onto the street. So all a second floor people would make a point about popping that door open. So I rarely even walked past the front desk and I didn't meet anybody on my floor because I still knew everybody in Laramie. <laughs> still like, I met more people going to parties and such, but I didn't, right. you know, or maybe in some classes, but I wasn't out there living that dorm experience. I didn't have a, it didn't suck, but it wasn't like, yeah, kick ass by any means. Uh, one of my memories was this guy, he would crank 90210 on his like really <laughs> kick ass speakers. So I just pop open the door on Wednesday nights and listen why well, watch 90210 and i just listened through his speakers <laughs> nice. i gotta get him on the show because he is a broadcasting major as well and uh tory mel is that way after your time probably and uh he uh yeah i gotta get him on the show because i'm from california he's one of those guys that's like threw a dart and it landed at the university of wyoming so he went here <laughs> yeah he come like his dad owns like a furniture like rich furniture shop out in la that everybody all the stars go to and everything so He's good friends with the Zappa family. Got to quit talking about him because I'm trying to get him on the show. <laughs> tell his story, but he would crank 90210. Nice. Yeah. 
And I remember like, I didn't start watching that show until college because I didn't have the time. And there were so many things I was like, well, I don't have time. I have time now because I'm not doing sports. And uh, yes, I would spend a lot of that time drinking and not studying, but I was like, 90210 seemed to be a popular show. And I was mm-hmm. in probably season two. <laughs> so seven years, I did six. Okay. My six. I, I exaggerated a bit. Yeah. I think it was more like five and a half. Yeah. But, uh, you know. I did it because I had to pay for the last. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My parents were like, we'll get five. And then I was like, in year five, I was like, oh man, this isn't happening. That motivates you though, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. So did you know what you wanted to major in right away? Or did you like no. around once you got here? No. And that's probably when I, I met you. I mean, I, yeah. let's see. I was probably a sophomore, a real sophomore at that time when I became a broadcast major and, and had, I don't think I had Mike uh, for a professor yet until maybe my junior year. But yeah. Your stepdad. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I think it was sophomore, junior year. And then I knew at that point I wanted to do sports casting um, or something in television. I mean, we were doing, we were heavy on the production side too. And, yeah. and that was fun, but I, I knew I wanted to do some on air stuff and, and that probably went from there. And that's when I got really serious with, with schooling because it was cool. I mean, in, in like Bob Beck's class, he had like five, students with you or Mike's class he had like 10 yeah. and it was a lot more personal interaction with the professors and, and there was a purpose whereas your freshman year you're taking a biology class with 250 other freshmen and oh. you know psychology history of Wyoming things like that which were all cool but you know you're still learning you're 18 19 you're partying a lot and figuring it all out so yeah it was cool by then I, when I became a broadcast major and, and then um, yeah I did that for for a while. And then even after I got my degree, I stayed with working with you guys at UWTV and interning over in Cheyenne. So yeah, that it wasn't until I was probably 20 or so that I knew I wanted to do that. Yeah, I didn't, I thought I was going to go into marketing. Uh, that's what I did in high school, but my stepdad, Mike, who had me my senior year of high school working games for, football and I don't think I did basketball I might have done coach show basketball but I wasn't on the court but football was on the sidelines and I carried Casper's equipment and so back in the day when you had a deck that strung off the side <laughs> of your camera uh, I would carry that and I thought it was cool it was fun it was extra money he'd pay me like out of his own pocket to work on that and the coaches show I'd roll roll and tape the highlights Yep. so to be around like the coach and all those players would come in it was just like amazing to me at the time. And I would have my own press conference basically because I played football in Laramie on Fridays. And then Saturday I'd go to the press conference when we had home games and the local media, Wyoming media, Laramie, we were good at football time. So they'd get the inside scoop the next day from a lineman. And I I was like, man, I'm finally getting linemen some press besides (laughs) my last game. I got some press at the end of the game. Like, they actually talked to me like on the record, <laughs> like uh, after a game, we had a good game and we were going on to the playoffs, but uh, I was like, yep, I gave my perspective and I was good as those standard hundred percent and all those good questions. You know, so <laughs> I wasn't throwing anybody on the bus. We we're good team. And so, but it was fun to get that kind of notoriety and, but it was, I was sore from playing the night before. So it was hard to like get going, <laughs> carry all that equipment. Still did not think I was going to be a broadcast major. I even did some editing of videos in high school. Still did not think I'd go in broadcasting. Get to my freshman year. Mike's like, you should be an intern. 
like, you just did all the work. You should be an intern for me. And I was like, sure, whatever. He's like, it's easy. A just carry equipment. I was like, that sounds easy. By the time we were halfway through, I'm declaring broadcasting as my major (laughs) and had Tony as my first class. Nice. Yeah. And we were talking about Jeff and I talk about all the time because I still we do a radio station together. And we at the community radio station I worked on here in Laramie, they had the old boards. There was a board that you actually cut. Like you put your little outline on there. Like here's a level you put it at. And remember we cut reel to reel together. Uh-huh. That board existed at this radio station for like at least a year. And then they got a new one, but it cracked me up. Then when they were like, the guy was going to train me. And I was like, I know this board. <laughs> I worked on it like 20 years ago. He's like, Oh, and it shouldn't be an issue. And I was like, no, it's not actually plug in here. I got it. <laughs> That's awesome. And so, yeah. It was ours for sure. And we talked about the reel to reel. I'm sure you had to do that where you spliced yep. in. Yep. Oh yeah, man. It's commercial. It's funny because I haven't been. I mean, 2000, the election night of 2000 with the hanging chads and yeah. the Gore election was my last on-air night. Oh wow. Um. So it was, it's been forever. It's been 20 years. Yeah. And I do a lot of stuff. Uh, I'm in real estate now, and I do a lot of video and and just kind of screwing around. But more on the marketing side with that, people are like, oh, would you get back into TV? And it's like, dude, it, it's changed so much since then. I mean, yeah. we, we carried, like you've, you've alluded to it like four times, man. We carried the huge camera and the, uh, and the tripod. Yeah. And, oh, man, it was such a pain. And and now they can do it on their phone, you know. So it's the technology has definitely passed me by. But, I mean, it would be easier to learn now, I think. But, but people today have no idea what it was like to be a one-man band when you're covering <laughs> – stuff and doing your live shot and setting up the truck and setting up your camera and everything. And now they've got, you know, either they've got somebody to help them do it, or they've got tiny equipment that makes it really easy. So it it definitely was different back in the day. Did, do you watch TV or movies still today? Video. Like the other day I was watching a documentary and I was like into it. And then I was like, ah, I hate that shot. Mm -hmm. Hate it with a passion my girlfriend's like why and i was like i pause it all right this is why and like it's usually because they're like way off like this yeah what's this empty space over here it's not telling me anything it's just a pitch it's a floor and i was like they're creating tension when it's not needed a non-stop man and i remember i i vividly remember mike and tony and steve and all those guys at uw tv like i'll see jump cuts or they'll just they'll just do some sort of transition in between with no establishing shot or no yeah. reaction shot or anything, and it's like, dang, I mean, we'd get yelled at if we did it like that. And that's oh. how a ton of video is shot and edited now. And I guess it's kind of become the norm, but it still it jolts me every time I see something like that. It's weird. Flapping jaw, where it's yeah. got they're like they're they're talking about the person that's on screen. They're about to give a good a good comment, a good on the record thing and it just shows her blah 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 and then they cut to almost the same shot but them giving this comment and i'm like uh-huh. it's jarring to me yeah and that kind of stuff um definitely framing drives me crazy there was a documentary done about tailgating for the university of wyoming and i was like just put it out there you're gonna do this and i'll help you because this just this was great but it takes away like people don't know why they don't like it, the tension and stuff, unless you studied it, but they're like, yeah, it is weird. I don't understand yeah. how they do that shot. And I'm like, cause they didn't have any training. Right. So anybody that's wants to be a future documentary filmmaker, <laughs> you 
look it up online, take a little training. You can learn how to do establishing shots, why medium close, why people like particular information a certain way. Talk shows. Yeah. Please have the guest on the right side. The ho- I mean, not the guest. The guest on the left side, the host on the right. Most important thing is right here. I used to call people out on it. I was like, so you think you're the most important person? I'm like, no. I was like, then why are you on the left side of the screen? Like, right. <laughs> like oh, well, no, I'm just the interviewer. <laughs> it, it's even, I mean, it, it's funny. I mean, this podcast, you can't see this, but you and yeah. I are doing this on Zoom. And I'll see people that are like, like you know, their heads <laughs> like this. Yeah. For sure. Oh, I just lost your mic for a sec there. Yeah, you got me back? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, you know, just just little things like that. It's like, this is a stupid Zoom meeting for work, but people, their shot's terrible and bugs me to this day. Or not to, you got the light behind, the window behind you. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's this, fine for this because we're not using video, but right. yeah, you get that blown out stuff. And I'm like, whoa. I mean, I think about that stuff now as I set up classrooms with cameras and such. I'm like, let's not point this thing straight out a window. Right. We'll lose everybody. And so. Yeah, I still try to apply um, <laughs> a lot of that stuff. I work on classrooms now. I, my influence is definitely in the video uh, component of it, uh, which has come really to the forefront nowadays with COVID and making classrooms all video classrooms. So I had a lot of ideas and saying and training and everything. So with that, because of my experience from video conferencing to go back to broadcasting, I haven't worked in news in 17 years. Uh, I left New York News 12, uh, 2003, and, and other circumstances, but the job really burns you up. And the people yeah. that still work in news, I don't know how they do it. Like, like stay not burned out or not freaked out. Um, there's I work in New York. I saw it all, including yeah. 11. And so I'm like... I'm always like horror flicks don't scare me because I've seen some shit in real world like stuff. And so I always felt that was a good move. And a lot of people it's, it's money. There's no money in broadcasting right now or ever, unless you're fantastic at it on being in front of the camera, which takes a long time to do. Um, How many different stations did you try before you were like, I'm out. Yeah. So I did, um, you know, starting at UWTV and then I, um, I interned at, at KGWN in Cheyenne, and then that turned into a weekend, or it turned into a photog job, and then it turned into weekend sports, and then it went to, I was sports director, so I was there for four years, um, and and probably would still be there to this day. I mean, it was, it was small market TV. We made zero money. I was working 75 to 80 hours a week with no days off because there was two people in the sports department, so if my weekend guy would take the day off I'd cover for him and then he'd have to cover for me and it just you didn't get time off and but I was covering the Cowboys I was covering the Broncos I was covering the Nuggets and the Rockies and the Avs and all the high school sports and it was killer um we went then we went out to Bend Oregon KTVZ out there it was a uh, NBC affiliate smaller market believe it or not but better pay and they actually paid OT um and then my, my wife at the time, who you know, um, was also in broadcasting. So that was difficult. Um, she always did the morning shows. I did the nighttime shows. Oh. And we kind of crossed at noon and then at two in the morning. That's when we saw each other because she'd be getting ready to go into the station. I'd be coming home. So it was it was difficult 
it, it was great for like a, a single young person. And then yeah. once you started wanting to have family, then it was tough. And so when I was out in Oregon, um, I switched over to the news side. And so I was a, a daytime reporter and 6 p.m. anchor, evening news anchor. Oh. Um, and she was still doing the mornings. And our news director, uh, great dude, um, really liked, uh, he liked me a lot. We got along well. And so I got the good stories. And I had spent you know nine years celebrating people's accomplishments in sports. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm supposed to get excited about the, the police scanner with a four car pile up or whatever. And and my last week before the election, my last week in television news, um, I tell people this story a lot because it just it's it's unbelievable. But it was like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Monday, I covered um, a, a child as a two year old that had been missing for three weeks. Um, his mom worked nights and she slept during the day and she didn't have a babysitter for him and he snuck out the back door and they had a canal in their backyard and uh, fell into the canal drowned. They found him three weeks to the, on this Monday. So I had to interview her, like how you feel. We just found your son. Tuesday um, was uh, a, an Osprey helicopter in the military. This 18 year old kid was a pilot of that and it crashed and he died, had to interview his dad. And then Wednesday, this is the craziest thing we were, we're out in, um, in Bend, Oregon, Central Oregon, uh, Deschutes County. It was um, the head of the Humane Society was uh, deputized by the sheriff. And so he was kind of a media darling. He'd call us up and he'd be like, hey, there's a ranch out here with 100 malnourished horses. I'm going to go bust. Come out with your camera crew. So we'd go out there and, and we knew him very, very well. And, and he had this cool German shepherd named Donner that used to travel with him on all the shoots. Everybody in town knew him. And, and on the Wednesday, um, he had found Donner hanging from a tree in his front yard with a knife in its throat. Holy and so that was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So then what it turned out was he was under uh, allegations and investigation for sexual harassment within the Humane Society. And he took the life of his own dog to take the, the heat off of him a little bit wow. for a while. And then he was, he went MIA and, and he calls us instead of his fellow sheriff deputies. And he's like, Hey, I'll give you guys an exclusive interview. I'm up in the mountains with my dog who had passed away a few days ago. And, uh, I'll come to see you guys first and then I'll turn myself in. And so that was like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I'm like, wow. Thursday, I'm like done. Can't do this anymore, man. Unless, unless there's an opening in sports again, where it can be fun. And, you know, I'm not, Cause, cause real news people get excited about that kind of week, right? Like that's, that's their Super Bowl, And I'm like, dude, I can't do this. So I got out, my wife at the time got out and we, I got into real estate and I've been doing that ever since, but, but, you know, loved it. And it was killer for a young single person without kids. Um, but you're right. No money, tons of hours, but man, it just, it just wears on you. Like you said, I mean, sorry for the long story, but that's kind oh, of no. how I got in and out. I understand totally. Uh, I, I, I didn't have a week like that. Um, but I had a spot where I was the backup to our sports photog, um, and was good at it. Like, cause of what I learned at the university of Wyoming, that's what I wanted to do. And then they're like, well, you'll do news. And I was like, whatever. Sure. And then, I mean, it burns you up. Like, 
And I just became, I just want to get the story done and really trying to put out what the actual content was because it was so out there. And yeah, I've tracked down murders. I've been at people's houses that they've burned down. I've been, uh, it's, I could go on plus nine 11. And, uh, but every time I'd work in sports, it was a, it felt good. It was a good day. And the sports photog quit. He was moving. I think he got a job in New York city and I was up next. The whole sports department rallied for me, including hall of famer, Bob Wolf, who interviewed American Babe Ruth. This guy was all, but I mean, he did, I don't even I've ever worked with him, but he saw my video and stuff lobbied for me. But at the time our station was going through budget cuts and they had let go a lot of our studio staff. So they took one of the members of the studio and made him a sports videographer. He had, he had a bad hip. He had never done it before. Uh. And I was insulted and I was going through divorce. So it was like time to move on. And I kind of put my stuff out there and the job was open at the university of Wyoming. And so I was like, I'm out, but like, it was interesting to see. And they're like, Oh, we're saving a job. And I was like, but you're compromising your sports department for this. This guy has so much to learn to get yep. it, to get there when I'm an instant fix and, and they, they want me. And so I remember one of my favorite spots working in sports, there's two was one I was my first day working with them. And like, you shoot a lot, everything, basketball, all the sports, high school, all that. And this one guy was like, we're going to shoot lacrosse. I've never shot lacrosse before. <laughs> no, I mean, I knew the game. I knew of it kind of right. once you play sports, you can figure it out. And um, so he was kind of panicking, like you've never shot lacrosse. And I was like, no. So we do all our stuff. I think I shot other stuff, football that day. We get back and we're looking through the video and he's like, you shoot better than our sports photog does. <laughs> we're not, and I was like, I go, just follow the bouncing ball. Like that's what it, and right. you learn how people, it's very soccer-ish, it's very hockey-ish how they play it. And so um, it was that easy for me because, right. you know, it, and I think if you're a sports photographer, you learn more how to become a sports photographer better and, and then news, I think you can grab anybody off the street and do news and they'll, they'll learn wide, medium, close, all that, you know, as long as you got a little background, but sports is a different beast in itself. Yeah. My second favorite story, we covered the Jets a lot and I got to go to their locker room and I'm there with our main sports guy. He knows all the Jets and everything. And Herm Edwards was the coach and he comes up and talks to me, which I'm shocked because I'm just. Joe Schmo, the media and backup guy, talks to me. He's like, I haven't seen you here before. You know, gets my story. Okay. Fast forward a few weeks later, I go into the jet locker room again and he starts talking to me. He's like, Hey, what's up, Justin? How you doing? Like, remembering my name, who I was. I wasn't at the one where he was like, You play to win the game. I wasn't at right. the press conference. But, <laughs> um, he, I, I was just like, Wow, this is amazing. I'm a nobody. This guy is totally remembers me. And while he was coaching the Jets, he went out and gave a pep prep talk, pep talk to St. John's uh, basketball team, unranked. They go out and beat Duke, who was like fourth ranked. And so I was loving this guy as a coach. And then he went to the Chiefs. I still love him. He plays, he coaches at Arizona. It's hard to cheer against them, Arizona State, when the Ducks right. play him. But right. I'm like, and then I ran a Joe Glenn. 
And Joe Glenn can do the same thing. He yep. knows your name. He attaches you to a high school. And every time I see Joe Glenn, probably to the day, he's like Justin Flasker, Laramie, Wyoming. That's how he rolls out my home <laughs> nice. scenario. And so, yeah, sports I it was great to work in. But the news, yes, brings yeah. you down, burns you up. And I quit and watching it like for years. I might have picked up about four years ago, but I was off news. And like people are like, you worked in it, you know news. And I was like, I hate it. And no, I'm not, yeah. I'm not watching it these days <laughs> anymore if I don't have to. Sensations, I know how they work. <laughs> exactly. And it and it's uh it's gotten worse. The the production has gotten worse, the writing has gotten worse. I mean, I'll I'll my wife hates sitting there watching the news with me because yeah. I will I'll critique the lead of how they did it in past tense, you know, just yeah. little things here and there that that they just don't care about anymore. It drives me nuts. But I had a similar uh, locker room story, but it wasn't quite as glamorous. We were covering the Broncos in their second, um, would have been 98, their second Super Bowl win. Oh, and uh, we generally would only get press passes from Cheyenne if somebody from the Wacker of the Mountain West was playing. Like the one time oh, the – the Raptors were in town and Reggie Slater was playing. And so they gave us press passes, you know, things like that. And so it was pretty rare, but I was in the locker room for a lot of those playoff games. And we were, it was a Raiders game. We were trying to do uh, one-on-ones about the crowd noise at a Raiders game. And uh, I got Terrell Davis and Bill Romanowski and, and all those guys. Um, and Shannon Sharp wouldn't give me the interview. And then finally he's like, okay, it was a Monday night game. And he's like, I'll give you an interview. I got to go take a shower first. And it's like, dude, we got to drive back to Cheyenne. You know, it's going to take a 30 second sound bite, right? So we waited, we waited, we waited two and a half hours later. And I remember it was a Monday night because he had his entourage in the locker room and they had TVs and one had Jay Leno and one had Letterman. And they were just sitting around literally like five feet from us in a towel. I'm like, dude, can we do this? Can we do this? And Oh, I got to do this. Got to do that. So two and a half hours later, he finally was like, all right, I'm ready to go, but we only have two minutes. And I'm like, oh, come on, man. Like, I've been waiting for you forever. And I actually had a photographer with me, which I usually didn't. And I'm like, we got to go, man. We got to go right now. He was so nervous and it was you know steamy and hot in the, in the locker room and it was out of focus. He didn't get the tape in the deck for the first minute of the interview. We got like a 30 second soundbite. I couldn't even use it. And then he was just the whole time. He's like, all right, you done? I'm like, dude, come on, man. Like everyone, like John Elway gave us a soundbite, you know, all these hall of famers and Shannon Sharp was, was too good for that. So I still tell people that story when they're, he's one of their heroes and heck of a player, but man, he screwed us over on small market TV and I couldn't even use it. But, but you know, it was, it was a fun time as a young guy being sitting there like waiting for him to dry off from the the shower, you know, (laughs) I'll add another one. Uh, We're in the jet lock room and Two actually the same time we're in there. Curtis Martin playing for the Jets went off like the weekend before, so he's surrounded by the press. And my reporter is like, "I have a good." I was like, "Are we going to talk to Curtis?" And he's like, "No, I'll get one on ones with him because I have a good rapport." And all he did was just lean over, make eye contact with Curtis, and he Curtis was like, "Like you're, I'm with you next." Nice. And as I'm standing there. Uh, Chad Pennington comes up and he's not the starter, he's backup. And he starts talking to me and he's like, introduces himself. I know exactly who he is. Like, 
uh, I mean, he was killing and call. I mean, he was just a rookie or whatever. And he's Southern accent. Hi, I'm Chad. How you doing? It's this job. He's just asking me about the job. And I'm like, oh man, I mean, just surreal Wyoming kid. And I shouldn't be that blown away. Cause I'd been around like college athletes left and right. Um, even, you know, big ones, like Marks Harris, Slater, Theo, right. those guys. Right. And, you know, shouldn't be that shell shocked by athletes and, and stars and stuff, but it was New York. So, I mean, I saw them all and 9-11 were the first baseball game is played in New York. First one is Braves Mets and they send us out just do like the piece, not the sports story, but it's just being played. And our press team, my, myself and my reporter are sitting, standing in the Braves dugout with Chipper, with Glavin, with, right. I, and I'm just like, I hate you all from a sports side, but I'm. <laughs> Geeking out right now. Yeah, it's still pretty sweet. Yeah. And yeah. so, I mean, those kind of the perks. And we could probably go on and on. You had your week of hell covering stuff. And it's changed so much. And if it bleeds, it leads was right. a lot of stuff. And that was definitely will get you out. If you're not excited for it, that gets you out of the biz. Um, so real estate. Wait, wait. So <laughs> I know you have kids. When did you decide to have kids? How old are they? Okay, man. I, I'm crazy. So I have an 18 year old yeah. daughter. Um, yeah. and then a 16 year old in a couple weeks son, yeah. a 13 year old daughter and a three year old son. So there's 10 years there. We talked about yeah. the gap yeah. with the siblings. Um, but yeah, so I was, I was married 15 years, first time around. And then, uh, we've been divorced now for about say eight years. Yeah. And then uh, remarried five and a half years ago. And so we've got the three year old with 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 her. Um, so, yeah, I got the four um, and I do real estate title insurance. So not the sexy part of real estate, yeah. I do all the paperwork side, uh -huh. but I do the business development sales side. So I bring the realtors and the lenders. Um, I did lending for about eight years after TV and then I switched over to the title insurance side um, in 09. And so. Um, yeah, I just, we, we facilitate the whole transaction, but I bring the realtors and the lenders into our office. So I get to do the, the schmoozing, you know, the lunches and the happy hours and fun things like that. Pre COVID now it's a little bit different. Yeah. A lot, a lot of zoom, a lot of phone calls, but, but yeah, completely different, but it was time to actually try to pay the bills and, and TV was great, but Bend, Oregon was, a um, you know, kind of like an Aspen or you've been to Bend, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, cool little place, but nobody had jobs. Everybody was a millionaire from the, the nah. Bay area and they were 30 years old. So <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here at 35 with less, you know, a million dollars short of being a millionaire and going, dude, this is, this sucks, man. Nobody works. And uh, it's a cool town, but there's no wage unless you were a financial planner or something. So got into lending for a bit and then, uh, wanted to get back to cl actually close to Wyoming. So went to Fort Collins and uh, we were going to open some drive through coffee shops because, as you know, there are a dime a dozen out there. There's four right. on every corner. The city of Fort Collins is a little bit harder to work with, with uh, small business and zoning and things like that. So we worked on that for about two years and then finally um, ended up losing a bunch of money and an investment with a, a franchisee that oh. took about 6.5 million of not just mine, obviously um, there's 76 franchisees um, that he had taken some amount of, and then declared bankruptcy. 
So we're all sitting there like, well, cool. Guess we're not going to do our coffee shop. So let's get back into real estate. So yeah, that was a little bit of a break there, but been doing real estate ever since. But And now they're starting to slowly pop up down here. It's a city of 200,000 people and we've got like five. So it's just weird being used to the Northwest where they're everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I, think I mean, even more. Laramie has two or three, right? Coffee shops? More than that. Yeah, the drive through just the drive throughs drive throughs Yeah. I mean, we got Starbucks. We got, yeah, we're getting human being. Okay. Yeah. That's actually an Oregon franchise. They, I know the owner down here pretty well that, that has the, there's like five of them down here. Yeah. But yeah, I mean. Yeah, I was like, we have more than, seems like we have more than four Collins. It cracks me up. Or you can get coffee at drive through There's always a huge line at Starbucks. We were talking about the other day, like, uh, my buddy was talking about uh, In-N-Out Burger opened up in Denver, and there's a four-hour line. Yeah, forget that. And I was like, there's a line nearly to the street at Starbucks here. I was like, no, their coffee's good. There's better <laughs> coffee. I mean, there's good yeah. coffee out there. Same with burgers. Like, In-N-Out's good. But there are other burger joints out there that are probably just as good. Well, I think it's yeah. good because it's not, I mean, it's, you know, you go to Vegas, you can go to In-N-Out, you go to California, yeah. you can go to, you know, it, it's kind of a cool thing to do. And if it was an everyday thing, I don't think I'd hit it every day, especially if it was, no. you know, at least an hour wait. Yeah, no, no, not at all. It's not that you can no. wait out. That's it. Uh, so with your, with kid, your kids and such, how'd they handle like COVID and like learning online. I know you're, th you said three-year-old, so it's probably no. Yeah, he's fine. There. It was the, probably not seeing the friends. is probably a tough one there. Yeah, it's, it's tough, man. I mean, they, so my 18 year old's a senior. Okay. And, and she's a good student, popular kid. Um, the first part of it, well, last year, starting in March when she was yeah. a junior, it was really affecting her because they were on the computer for eight hours a day. And then they'd have a couple hours of homework. Yeah. And the good thing was, is that my, the youngest of the first three was in seventh grade. So this, at the time it was seventh, ninth and 11th, and they could handle everything. They could figure out the answers on their own. They didn't need dad trying to remember how to do math and stuff, yeah. which is cool. Or they would wait till I got home from work. Whereas a lot of my coworkers and friends are dealing with like third, fourth, fifth graders. And they're like, dude, I don't remember how to do this stuff. And I got a career. And so that was okay. And then it, it my oldest was optimistic in the fact that she's like, at least I'm not a freshman in college that has to do this and not get to experience the whole freshman in college life. So I like that attitude. Hopefully it changes by the fall a little bit when she does go to college, but they've been pretty good They're I know that Christmas break came at a good time because they were just mentally exhausted, you know, and you, you and I know too, as adults, I mean, you sit here on some of these meetings or, whatever you're doing online. And it's like, dude, I can't do this anymore. And these guys did it all day long, every day and not get to see their friends. And, and it's tough, but you know, we got to do it. I get that, it, but it's hard. It, it used to be, I didn't want to do any sort of video chat conferencing uh, is the job. I, was, I had cameras on me in my old office and wow, like all the time. And so right. like, there it is. I ran like seven different meetings at a time. And so I was constantly interacting with them, not so much in the last couple of years, but like everybody's like, oh, we should Zoom. And I'm like, that's ah, work. <laughs> I don't want to do work. Right. And now with podcast, yeah, it works out with Zoom. Um, since I've used it so much, I've been using Zoom for the last four years. So I'm very comfortable with it. And I was like, ah, oh, we'll put this to use. And it's a good way to catch up with 
friends and such. My original idea was to drive around and like put a microphone in front of you and be like, okay, let's talk it out. And right. my first interview was that way. And everyone, everything else was uh, all zoom. Huh. And yeah, I hope to get the sooner, the better to get this podcast on the road and also to see college students on campus and everything. So yeah, I think, I think your daughter going into fall, I think will, will have a normal semester wherever she may go to the University of Wyoming. She should. Well, I'm yeah. Not, Tell uh, me about it, dude. Steer her away from that green school down there. She's down to two schools now. It's Missouri and Wyoming. Okay. okay. And uh, mostly Missouri because uh, she wants to do occupational therapy. Oh, okay. But she also gets the benefit of getting her four-year degree from anywhere. And since I'm on the alumni board and we have scholarships and she gets good grades, I'm like, dude, this could almost be free. So let's, let's just stay close. I won't come popping in every, every day. I mean, that's what she's afraid of. She's like, you're only an hour away. I'm like, yeah, but it's Laramie in the winter. Yeah. It's more than an hour. It's, you may it's not, not get to leave town. Yeah. And, and even in the summer, it could be too windy just to, right. to Laramie. I'm like, you're good. Just go there. I'll, I'll pop in on game day. I'll say, hi. I'll take you yeah. to dinner, but I won't bug you. And you probably still know I mean, maybe more than me, but other people here, and so if she needed to some help or a phone call or anything Absolutely. like that, it's yeah. a lot easier. And you know the town, uh, yeah. that's a little more sweet relief. And where's Missouri? What are they, Columbia? Columbia, yep. Yeah. yeah. So Yeah, yeah. we'll yeah. see. She hasn't really spent time there. We'll see what happens when she sees that it's it's humid and, and not. I mean, Laramie's cool, man. I, I like to make fun of it, but I love it. I love Laramie. I love going back. The winters have dialed there. back. I, huh? I've lived now 17 years. It, well, my plan was to be five and then on to Oregon, but turns out I like the sunshine compared to <laughs> the overcast rain. Every time I visit out there, it was, it would rain seven of the 10 days I was there. And I was like, ah, so, uh, but our, I, I've noticed since I've been back, like our winters have definitely got milder. We had one uh, 14, 13, where I was like, a week straight of negative 40, 30, like brutal, just brutal. Like all you want to do is get warm. That was your kind of thing. But I haven't had one since. And, and so like people are like, well, how's the winter? And I'm like, I don't know, forgettable. Like usually there's like one, two, three ass kicking snowstorms or just cold weather. Right. And, but nowadays I have like a garage and uh so I, my car is always parked in the garage i used to have a sweet spot at wild hall uh where i park and be in my be in the building in five seconds i mean two minutes now with my new office no not as much but i have a remote starter nice. so i can hit it from afar where i've got to park so i just got to figure out that walk to and back and fro from my from my car um but yeah, now I'm all walking around campus a lot. So it's more winter clothing. I'm used to it, but it seems very mild, especially we're at the end of December. And I think our last big snowstorm was September. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's weird to say. And so yeah. I was like, yeah, senior kid here, they're going to have a great time. They'll eventually probably stay here in the summers, which is some of the best times. The summers are awesome. Yeah. yeah. Unbeatable. And there's, yeah, there's less people. Um, it's usually upperclassmen. So you're all probably working. Um, yeah. Oh, it was awesome when like they closed down, went on pause or not pause, but they 
went to online early this semester, week before Thanksgiving, and our numbers went down. Our COVID numbers went down because all our college kids are gone. Right. Super spreaders are gone. <laughs> and it's still town. I mean, it just feels weird. I mean, this time of year, it's kind of normal. But when they're gone and it's middle of, you know, April, it, it's a weird town. You're like, well, we're getting that summer vibe, but it's not summer. <laughs> and so they're gone. Our numbers went down because now we, all we got left is everybody works at the university, experts, scientists and such. And so right. it's not, it's interesting to watch the numbers compared to the rest of the state. And I think our mask mandate and closing down bars and restaurants at 10 worked or a little bit. Our numbers dropped or people are not getting tested as much. I don't know, but right. it, watching this overall state ones, it dialed it back a ton. We were on pace to like pass other states with bigger population just because <laughs> it's a Wyoming way. It seemed like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think they got it figured it out a little bit. Hopefully these vaccines come sooner. And everybody will get back to normal and such. And so I always ask this question at the end, but we already talked about it. Maybe we'll get more details. How'd you meet me? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was through UWTV, I'm sure. Yeah. Because um, I don't think you were you weren't living with Matt Williams no. right away, right? It, yeah. So, yeah, pretty much sophomore, junior, or junior, senior, and then after, it was just a small group of, like Drew and, and Matt and and you and, and like you said, Rickett and you know, Nagy and those guys and yeah. and I so I think it was just through UWTV and then having having your stepdad as one of my teachers and then I interned. We interned together, I'm sure that's where it started. Um and then yeah, through the years of that, I think I learned a lot on how to shoot the run game on football just with your lineman experience, <laughs> yeah. you'd always be like, Hey, watch what the lineman do. You're going to know if it's a pass or a run. And, um, the first, I remember the first shoot that Diana who was running the, the whole show would, would yeah. have you do is, uh, swimming and oh. you just pan back and forth at, at the pool. And then you got to do some volleyball and then you'd work up to football and, and basketball. And, and dude, that was just some of the best times just shooting some of those games and having fun down in the studio and listening to Steve Costin talk about his his dreams of being a director and on the big level. And um, yeah, I think that was it, man. We spent a ton of time down there in the basement. Was that the physical science building? Or? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Six. So I think, yeah, yeah, I think that was it. I think that's where we met and then just got to know you and then lost touch. And I think we bumped into each other down at um, Buffalo Wild Wings here in Fort Collins. Oh, yeah. A handful of years back when I first moved back. So, um, and then I've seen you at a few football games and stuff. So, yeah. And we're Blazer Trailblazer fans. Yeah. Right. We got the Oregon connection. Yeah, Cause yeah. I grew up there and then you moved there. So didn't you have, I think I've told this story before you had a connection to the, uh, your dog was in like a new shoes video yes. or something. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Mike stepdad, he was trying to make it as an independent producer director a lot of different jobs eventually that failed until we got out here. And uh, they was like, Jim Blashfield was the name of the director. And he directed the Michael Jackson, Just Leave Me Alone video. So if you watch the new shoes video, I can't wait and just leave me alone. They're very similar and right. a lot of the Amiga effects and stuff like that. And he asked Mike, he's like, you got, I need him looking for some dogs for a video. <laughs> and Mike's like, I got two. And they're well-trained golden retrievers. So sit and shake and stuff. 
And my dog, my older sister's dog and myself is named Sunny. And she's kind of more of the star as you, if you watch this video, new shoes, I can't wait, go look it up people. Uh, her head goes back and forth to the beat, like they yeah. cut a little clip. Um, the, the two shot of them come in and starts the video and one's in the dog house and one's just sitting, the cameras go right past them and they just stay perfectly still. I think they got paid a hundred bucks a piece to do it. <laughs> and so that was, that was pretty cool. Um, new, that song is used in a commercial now. Yeah, I heard it the other day, and that so, I think I told the story the other day. That yeah. Was so when I hear it, I'm like, my head honestly whips around, like, hey, <laughs> I guess they needed the money. Hopefully that they're still <laughs> playing together. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. That's and awesome. So, and then Blazers, yeah, I mean, you go there, and they're the only game in town. Yep. And so you, if if you're not a fan, you you buy into it eventually. I think, um, I think if there's an easy team to be a fan of. And oh, well, maybe not during the jailblazer years, but they're easy. To yeah. Make. And so you know, that was yeah. the other thing about Ben, too, is is I was so used to being so close to, to Denver and Laramie for sports. And Ben, the only thing in that state, like you said, is Blazers. There's a handful of soccer fans that like the Timbers. Oh, yeah. you got the Ducks and the Beavers. But for pro sports and for concerts and stuff, we were three hours away from anything. I bet. So that, that's I part bet. of the reason why I'm coming back to this part of the country, just being able to to get with, you know, go to the Pepsi center and watch a game or watch a concert or something. We didn't get that there. So that was a cool place, but definitely if you, if you had the money to make that like your second home or something, I'd still rather live somewhere around here. Is it, is, is it in, in the seventh mountains? Is that there in Ben? In the seven, yeah, that's there. Okay. Yeah. We go there as a kid a ton. And so, yeah, I mean, it was incredible. You could, there's at the time there's 27 golf courses. There were 60,000 people. You could go, you could hit the slopes of Bachelor in the morning and then golf in the afternoon. I mean, if you're like an outdoorsy yeah. person, it was perfect. Um, and I tell people it was like a miniature Fort Collins. But, uh, you know, like I said, you had to have money and I didn't. <laughs> I still don't. So That's how I felt about New York. Yeah, um, right. Everything goes there. Every band, every concert, every, anything in the world you want. And access to everything. That's the only stuff I miss. I have some friends out there. But I couldn't afford to live in New York. I worked a couple different jobs while working at our news station just to supplement like our, our income and such. Mm -hmm. And so I, one year I, I was either I did. My, I know we went to an accountant, but I had to pay taxes. I've never had to like pay back money to the government. And taxes. <laughs> so I haven't had a job that does that. And I was like, this is the wrong. Like financially, I don't know how this is going to work. Right. And so, yeah, I'm glad I don't live there. Glad I had an experience from being there. I learned a lot of things about myself and life and all, everything like that. Uh, oh, I, had a, I just thought of something about, oh, production class. We had, a, it was Mike's class and we were such a tight knit group going back to how we met. We eventually got tight group and we were directing, we were directing a fashion show <laughs> and our goal there was, we broke it up in two groups. And one was the, the talent and one was the people working the cameras, the director, the producer. And I knew you well enough at the time. And I was just, our goal as talent, I was trying to make you laugh. <laughs> and I did something on this I will talk about, but I could hear the whole control room laugh when I walked out <laughs> on stage. And same with Marvin, his football player and such. He did it too. But it was like, I was like, who's up? Who's up? Is Christian up yet? 
Is he up yet to direct? Because I got something for them. Just because you were good at what you did. And so I thought if I see if I could rattle you and see, <laughs> and it was funny and everything. So I, I, and then on out, I just expected the same thing from everybody else to be rattled at that. Right. And yeah. It, I remember um, you had, or one of us had like a flannel shirt wrapped around her waist and we were coming out to a Pearl Jam song. Oh yeah. That, that was, that's, that was my vivid memory of that fashion shoot. But I don't remember much else about it. Yeah, it was, it, I mean, it was interesting, uh, you know, a project design, a, a, a in-class assignment to get done. Um, and by then I was, I was very comfortable in all spots. Uh, you spoke of Steve Costin. Uh, he was a producer director at the university. He survived cancer. He's doing good now. He's retired and everything. And uh, I remember my first time working on Wyoming Signatures as a cameraman, as one of the hot cameras. And he lit into me. I didn't make huge mistakes, but it was kind of trial by fire. A lot of people got it, maybe not necessarily. Oh, yeah. uh, But a lot of people got it. Uh, And I remember sitting on the edge of the stage contemplating if broadcasting was going to be my future <laughs> like if it was going to be like that i didn't need that in my ear all the time right and, and i think he realized which kind of sucked that who my stepdad was his boss right like after that was all done and i didn't my stepdad did not want any special treatment for me so he could have cared less about that whole scenario but he came out and apologized to me and i never saw him do that to anyone no and I was just like, I wanted to be like, treat me the same as everybody else. Like, right. I can take it. And But once I, I made his day, had a great shot on shoot or whatever, I was in. Like, I was his go-to guy. Very trusted. And then he would trust me with his director stories, working in the what, Army, CIA. I mean, like, yeah. crazy <laughs> stuff that Costin had done and everything. But once he trusted you, you were, you were good. You were in. in the, and I used some of his key phrases today and i won't say them on the yeah yeah i do too yeah oh yeah i mean it's funny because nobody will get it unless you were in the room maybe jeff gets it if i say it or anything like that but right yeah the studio's there he uh i saw him we were interviewing the governor at the capitol building and uh we had these crappy wooden tripods that you tried to lock them down and the camera would still move and this girl, and I can't remember her name, but she was having a really hard time getting the shot. And he lit into her so bad in front of the governor, and she was crying. And we had to we had to pause our shoot and, and get everybody back on track and everything. And and I was afraid of him because of that. But like you said, once once you got in, you you learned so much from him. He trusted you, and he knew his stuff, man. He he was just harsh, and he yeah. he wanted it done right, and he you know he was gonna let you remember that, and so. Yeah, probably the approach that I wouldn't take, but man, I learned a lot from him to this day, just just because of the way he was. He was a great dude, but yeah, it was when I saw him make that girl cry. I'm like, uh oh, don't mess up, man. Don't. And then I think I was next on the camera, and I'm sweating and I'm fogging up the lens, you know, because I was so nervous. Uh, Yeah, it was it was fun times for sure. My winning shot for him was there was a tube, and they were doing. I think it was. set up for like oil um, mining or pulling out of the ground, but we were inside a, one of the engineering buildings 
and I was shooting down with my camera into this hole and this pipe came up and I slowly stood up at the same time and went up and he was just, and he had it on the can on the, um, safety, uh, camp, not camera, safety monitor. Little monitor. And yeah. Had, and I mean, he almost ruined it cause he was like, Oh, that's sweet. Like I could hear it cut like sweet shot, you know? And he was like, from there on out, he was like, now what can you do? Now what else bigger, great shots you can do? And I was like, yeah, I got you with that one. What, I'm not good now? Like, and, and eventually <laughs> yeah, right. it becomes you know, old hat. I, I eventually, I like, I coach, not coached, uh, directed the coach's show. And Steve was one of my uh, crew members. I think he was my audio nice. guy. And he kind of wanted to lay in a little bit, but he had, he quit smoking cigarettes and he became a nicer dude. It's usually the opposite of that one. <laughs> Right. And he became a much nicer person to work with. And I used to be like, <laughs> I would look over and I'd be like, who are you? And I'd say that out loud, like, who are you? And he's like, yeah, I know. Got soft <laughs> in my old age. And I'm like, nope. nobody who quits cigarettes turns nicer. Like, this is interesting. And so, That's hilarious. yeah. And so it was interesting to get my, I almost wanted to lay in the middle and like, you call that audio? I don't think so. Like, right. And I did, I'm, I'm quite probably the way he directed. I'm the flip side. Um, I'm very, I don't lose my temper. I don't lose my shit or anything like that. I'm very together with it. I'm calm. Cause I'm like, we, if we yell and scream, we lose the time to make up for whatever mistake we did. So we'll right. get through this. I'll explain why it wasn't good later on, but I'm not doing it at the time. And so, cause I want to keep everybody calm and like not have a person sweating over the camera or, you know, worried right. they're going to, you know, screw it up for everybody. I'm like, no, you can get this. I believe in people a lot more behind the <laughs> camera and stuff. And I remember talking about watching feet for football and blocking and also living with football players for a little while. I knew their offense after a while. So I was like, I got gotcha. you. This is yeah. easy to, oh, they're throwing it. And I would shoot with both eyes open. Uh -huh. You learned how to do that in sports. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Cause once you get hit on the sidelines um, from, a player or like our basketball or something that yeah. opens up real easy. If you're on the, the left, if you're on the sideline baseline on the left side of the hoop with the camera on the right side, Oh yeah. And you got taken out, which I have, you learned quickly to shoot with both eyes open because those guys are huge and they take you out, man. It was painful. I Marcus Harris landed at my feet one time. And uh, Cause only because I had my, he would have taken me out. Yeah. Only because I had my eyes open. <laughs> and I because I was like, oh, it's pass. Watch the guys back out. And I was I was tight at the time on the on the shot. So I actually caught the ball spiral in midair coming down. And I'm like, it's coming right at me. I didn't realize Marcus was coming up because I was blocked out with the camera mm -hmm. on this side, on the right side. I was like, it's coming right at me. So I kind of started stepping back a little bit. He catches it, lands on my feet, you know, perfect catch, lands out of bounds. He gets up and I knew Marcus and he's like, Hey, what's up, rude man? Where's the party at tonight? And I'm like, <laughs> like, shush. Like before, you know, cause I was like, I had a, I was my roommates were football players. I knew a lot of football. I partied and with you lived with wall work, right? I lived with wall work, yep. but I didn't need the media snooping around or trying to press me for the dumb shit we did while off right. the field off, you know, cause I was like, I'm implicating myself. So why would I do this? <laughs> and so like when Marcos was doing that, people were like looking at me and I'm like, yeah, we're not going to have a press conference on how I know Marcus Harris right now. Right. 
And I was right. like, you obviously see I'm a student, but yeah, it was, that was funny that that happened. And uh, now Marcus is a high school teacher and I know. I wish he was on Facebook. I want to get him on this show for sure. Cause I've talked about him enough and he would always talk about, well, one time I was like hanging out with him, getting drunk at the parlor. And he's like, Hey, you want to go watch some elk? And I was like, I thought it was code for like, go to another party or do something. Right. Literally we're watching elk within the half hour later. And there's a group of us stand out in the prairie and I'm like, we're really watching elk right now. That's great. And <laughs> That's he's, awesome. like, he's from Minnesota. He's a definitely a country kid. Right. Stuff. And so he loved, that's probably why he went here besides Yarbrough being awesome, but he wanted to be outside and get all that into, but he teaches now. And so, yeah, I want to get him on this show. For yeah. He, sure. We've spoken to him through the alumni association a couple of times. And I remember um, when he got drafted by the lions, um, I interviewed him. I was at Cheyenne. I was a sports yeah. director then and interviewed him at training camp. And it was like two weeks into it. And he's like, I'm like, how's it going? And he's like, man, they've thrown the ball to me four times. Huh. He goes, I've caught it all four times, but that's it. And I'm like, dude. And then like a week later they cut him or, you know, he didn't make the team. Yeah. And I'm like, this guy's the best receiver in the country. And he's not on a squad right now. That's that was crap. But well, yeah, and they were, it was a weird draft by the Lions because they were so wide receiver heavy. Yeah. I had so many great wide receivers, like he would probably had a better chance on another team. Yep. Not behind those guys. That's what I always thought. I was like, he kind of, and then at the time you're like, oh, he was in a gimmick offense, like threw the ball all the time. And I'm like, right. today's game, that's all they do. What? It's, yep. And just fine. And so, all right. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me, man. Good to talk to you. Folks, I wish all my former TV broadcasting classmates still worked in the TV broadcasting industry, but it's hard to make a life, to make a living chasing that better job all around the United States. Now, if you're one of my former classmates that is still working in the TV broadcasting industry, let's talk on this show. Get a hold of me. You know how Facebook and all that such, or if you got my digits, text me. Now, you heard both Christian and I worked in the news industry and got out. Now, I don't speak for Christian when I say this, but media is only biased to reporting the story first. Even if it's 70% accurate, they will keep on reporting the story until they get it right. Most news stations are owned by big corporations. And weirdly enough, those corporations don't set the talking points for these news stations besides Fox News. They're, they had leaked memos and such, and I think Steve Ducey read one on air. Go look it up. Go look it up. There are plenty of news stories out there that I don't want to hear, but doesn't make them any less true. The hard part, well, for most people with news is deciphering opinion stories and factual stories because the opinion stories most likely speak to the viewer's values. Then that leads to an alternate reality of sorts. Now, how do we fix this? I say education, but people don't like being told they're stupid and the way they think 
and process information is all wrong. So I don't have the answers. But I just want to let you know that blaming the media isn't always like it's an easy scapegoat, but it isn't always the issue that they, they report on the issues, but they aren't the issue. We are the issue. People are. <laughs> all right. But that's another story. On to the next episode.